0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another Sunday morning studying the Bible with us here at Stapleton Baptist Church. I hope you guys are staying safe uh, at your house right now. I'm looking forward to spending the next forty or so minutes with you, um, studying another section of Scripture from the Book of Revelation with you uh, this morning. So, if you don't have your Bible out, now's a great time for you to go get it. Even though I'm going to put the Scripture up on the screen, I love for you to be able to go and get your own uh, copy of God's Word and check it and make sure I didn't get anything get anything squirrely there. So. Uh, go ahead and get your Bible out, and uh, we'll pray and we can get started. Uh, Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to use technology to study the Bible together, even when we can't be together. Um, Lord, I pray that you bless us with understanding your word clearly today. Give us the ability to take stock of ourselves as we study it, um, to, to not deny guilt or association or run and hide from the sin that's in us, but to admit it and to flee Babylon and, and, and seek you and seek your city and your country. Um, Lord, we love you, and we ask that you work on us through your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you went ahead and got your copies of God's Word out, we're going to be in Revelation. We're going to be in chapter uh, 18 today, and we're going to be reading verses 9 through 20. So uh, I'll go ahead and throw that up on the screen, and we can read it together um, from there. You can hopefully get it in your Bible. I'm reading out of the New King James, so if you've got a New King James or a King James, this will sound uh, similar to what you have. Um, if you've got an NIV or something, you may notice some differences, but um, should be fairly similar. Okay, Revelation chapter 18, starting in verse 9, "...the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come." And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. And the fruit that your soul longed for is gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing." Every shipmaster, all who travel by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she's made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Okay, so that's a mouthful. Uh, right? Uh, if you weren't here with us last week, you're probably like, what in the world? Who's burning? Uh, what's going on right now? Uh, this is not a person uh, specifically who is burning. This is the city of Babylon. Um, now Babylon, maybe it's named Babylon, maybe it's not. Uh, this is talking about the, the Antichrist's seat of power um, in the book of Revelation. Now it may be a rebuilt ancient city of Babylon, it may be a city that is named Babylon even though it doesn't sit on the same site, Um, it may be a city that sits on a completely different site and is not named Babylon, but it carries on uh, the tradition of Babylon. So that's who we're talking about here, and what we read in last week's uh, passage was an angel from heaven decreeing that Babylon at last has fallen, and it is thoroughly fallen, that that it's not going to be rebuilt, it's not going to be put back together that it's not ever it's not even going to exist as a shadow of its former glory that it's going to be utterly and completely destroyed. Um, so this week we're talking about the response of those who dwell on the earth to the fall of the great city Babylon. And the first thing I want us to see is we're going to, well actually before I even get into that, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to deal uh, with symptoms of what a fallen heart looks like and you can always tell uh, what somebody loves by how they react when they lose it. Uh, So we're going to see how some fallen hearts today react when the city of Babylon falls. And we're going to see kind of how they uh, respond to it, what it is they're thinking about, what it is they're doing, what it is they're feeling. Um, And we're going to look at that. And the first symptom that we're looking at is that fallen hearts tend to deny association or guilt. Um, They deny association with the guilty or they deny their own guilt. So that's the first symptom. Now the reason if you notice looking on this slide I said symptom one Um, I'm what's called an expository preacher, which means I take a passage of Scripture and I go through it verse by verse. So typically, uh, whatever order the verses are in, that's the order I'm going to go. I did not do that today because there's a lot of things that are peppered throughout the entire passage that you see repeated. There are patterns. Uh, So rather than split into, say, this chunk of verses, this chunk of verses, and this chunk of verses, we're going to focus on three parties here. We're going to focus on the kings of the earth, the merchants, and the traders on the sea. Um, There's a lot of similarities between them, but there are some slight differences. So we're going to handle it more so thematically um, than than strictly in order. And in this first section that we're looking at, denying association with the guilty or personal guilt themselves, uh, we're going to be specifically dealing with the kings, even though we're going to take a look at the merchants and the the sea traders as well. Um, So first, look right here in verse 10, in Revelation 18, 9 and 10. So if you look at verse 10 right here, uh, you'll notice that the kings of the earth who committed, who have committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her—that is Babylon. Remember, Babylon is a city; it's not literally a lady. It's it's a city, um, and committing fornication with her is a symbolic way of saying that they committed uh, spiritually adultery, spiritual adultery with her. That rather than devoting themselves to God and loving God, uh, they gave themselves over to this. Uh, worldly city, um, this world order, they gave themselves over to that. Um, there's probably some sexual immorality involved as well. Um, and then last week we talked about as well economic um, uh, adultery and, and, and exploitation. So um, the kings of the earth who've been involved with her, who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her, Babylon, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. So they see her suffering. And what do they do? What do these brave kings of the earth do? They stand at a distance for fear of her torment. They stand at a distance for fear of her torment. This is exactly who you want with you in a fight. They're going to go down with you. The captain goes down with this Well, no, not this captain, not this king. He wants out. He wants to stand away, and he doesn't want anything to do with this punishment, so he's going to stand at a distance for fear of her torment. Now let's jump forward to verse 15. Look at verse 15. We're going to move from the kings to the merchants. The merchants, they see Babylon falling. And these merchants who became rich by her, they're not strangers to Lady Babylon. They've become rich by her. They stand at a distance for fear of her torment. The push comes to shove and they don't want anything to do with her. They deny association with her. Finally, let's look at these sea traders. What do they do? Take a shot. You probably got it right. Look at verse 17b, the very end of it. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance. They pretended that they had nothing to do with Babylon. I don't know who you're talking about. If you you watch sports, you've seen this. Particularly, soccer is so bad about this. The NFL is getting worse um, every single day. Uh, But, you know, maybe one player fouls another one. And what's the first thing that player does? He throws his hands up and backs away like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Um, that's exactly what these kings, these merchants, and these sea traders are doing, is they throw their hands up in the air and say, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. I didn't have anything to do with this. Um, I'm backing away. I'm standing away. I don't want anything to do with this. Um, and we kind of we joke around with this. This is not good theology. Um, but have you ever had somebody just blatantly lie to you and see somebody just kind of step to the side? And you're like, what are you doing? I'm stepping out of the way so that when lightning strikes you for lying that bad, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. The idea is distancing yourself from that association so that you don't get the punishment as well. By doing that, what you're saying is, I didn't have anything to do with this, so I don't want to get any of the punishment, right? So that's what the kings, the merchants, and the sea traders are doing. But there's a problem with that. There's a big problem with that because look back at verse uh, 10 again. So they're standing at a distance, these are the kings, for fear of her torment saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. You know, Babylon, this really stinks The judgment has come for you, but it's your judgment. This judgment is yours. It has nothing to do with me. I don't want to stand anywhere near you because I don't want to take part of it. I didn't have any part. Well, but did the kings of the earth have a part of it? Sure they did. Look at the beginning of this verse. The kings of the earth committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her. Absolutely they were involved. The kings of the earth were thoroughly involved in this. And they're standing back and pretending that they didn't do a thing. What about these sea traders? Or excuse me, the merchants. So the merchants are standing at a distance in verse 15 for fear of her torment. But then look at the end of verse 17. For in one hour such great riches... Came to nothing, for for a reason that we're going to get into. The merchants don't mention; they're not mentioning judgment. They're just saying, "Oh, this came to nothing." Uh, That there is a flippancy that I see in the merchants that you don't really see uh, in the other two. So the merchants say, "Oh, such great such great riches came to nothing." I'm just going to stand back right here. I didn't have anything to do with this. Well, yes, you did, merchants. You got wealthy uh, off of her riches. That you saw her. As wealth to be exploited and you saw the city burn and you're thinking about the riches burning even though you were involved in this from the very beginning. What about the sea traders? They're standing at a distance too, but they say she is made desolate. She is made desolate. Not we are made desolate. She is made desolate that this is her judgment, did you hear the passive voice? She is made desolate. That means someone outside her did this to her. That, oh, it, it's really upsetting that this was done to Babylon. But man, it's, it's not coming for me. There's a problem with this. Has anybody asked why Babylon has become desolate? The kings don't ask it. The merchants don't ask it. The sea traders don't ask it. All they do is they look at Babylon, they see her fallen, and they mourn her because of what it means for them. They don't question whether or not Babylon did something to deserve this. And then because they don't ask that question, they also don't ask the more important follow-up question, Is it possible if Babylon deserves this because of something Babylon did, there may be someone else on the hook? Who is just as guilty as Babylon herself? Everybody who was involved in her. I mean, I don't know. This is probably going to date me. uh, But I remember when I was in high school. uh, It it honestly wasn't that long ago. I, I don't know if they still do this. Um, this would probably scare somebody or offend somebody now, so I don't know. If, I don't know if the police still can, but it was it was beneficial. Uh, I think uh, they used to do something called a, a dare, and it was basically an anti-drug campaign. Some of you may remember dare. Some of you maybe they still do it, maybe they don't. I don't think they do. Um, but what the what they would do is they would come in and they would do a big school assembly, and they would get everybody together, and they would say, "Hey, we just want to let you know." Um, if we pull somebody over for contraband, you know, whatever kind of illicit drugs they might have, and you're just with them, being with the wrong people makes you the wrong people. Like, don't say it, it's all them. It's not me because they have to assume everybody's involved. You know, so the only sure way to say it wasn't me was to not be around, to not be within arm's reach of this, to not have anything to do with it, not have it on you, not be with people who are doing it but that doesn't apply to the kings, the merchants, or the sea traders. They are neck deep in trade, in luxurious living, in exploitation, in immorality. They are just all involved in this, and they're pretending they're not. They're not willing to consider their own connection and commiseration with Babylon, so they're mourning her judgment, they're mourning her loss, they're they're scoffing at her guilt, but they're not examining themselves at all. 1 John uh, 1 verses 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is scary, y'all, because none of us like to be fooled, right? But who's the best person at fooling you? Yourself. We can all fool ourselves, even if nobody else can. We can fool ourselves. And if you look yourself in the mirror in the morning, or me too, you know, I don't want to be preachy at you, even though I'm a preacher. If you look at yourself in the mirror, if I look at myself in the mirror in the morning and say, you know what, I did pretty good yesterday, and I'm going to do pretty good today. And I feel like just me doing my best, God, that's enough to satisfy God. Or you look at yourself and you know what? I haven't done anything enough to warrant God being upset with me. If he's upset with me, then it's just not fair. That self-deception that John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But this is the good part. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why God sent Jesus is because God says, hey, You guys have rebelled against me, you've sinned against me, you've screwed up beyond repair, you can't do anything about it, but I'm going to send my son to suffer in your place. He can do something about it. So all you've got to do is call out to me and I will forgive you on the basis of what Jesus, my son, did on the cross. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. But you're not ever going to ask for forgiveness and therefore will never experience mercy if you don't believe that you've actually done anything wrong in the first place. You've got to ask for forgiveness to receive it. Nobody gets Gets it by default. You know, so compare that to these kings, these merchants, and these sea traders. They all step back and pretend they had nothing to do with it. I don't deserve any punishment. I wasn't there. I wasn't involved. Well, they find themselves in this first group. They say they have no sin. and They've deceived themselves. So this is a strong warning that a lost heart uh, is very capable of deceiving itself into believing that it wasn't involved. It's done nothing to deserve punishment. It's done nothing that requires forgiveness. Second, let's look at a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a religious group. Uh, during the biblical period, that the Pharisees were famous for taking uh, the Bible itself. You know, it would have been the Old Testament for them. And let's say the Old Testament makes a rule, uh, which which the law does have the rule. So you sh- don't work on the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy, some of you may know what as So in, in the Jewish mind, the Sabbath is Saturday. By the way, the Sabbath is still Saturday. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Sunday is the Lord's Day. We worship on Sunday because Jesus rose on a Sunday. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Um, So the command, keep the Sabbath holy, uh, in the Old Testament meant to the Jews, you don't work uh, on Saturday. So what the Pharisees came along and did, they said, well, we have to define what work is. uh, Because if we don't define what work is, we might accidentally do it. So let's figure out what work is, is, and then let's make a rule one step farther out from that. Because if working is... um, picking up sticks to build a fire, then we'll just say you can't get within 15 feet of a tree on the Sabbath. Now, I'm making that up. That's not a rule, but I'm just saying the principle. You know, if it's working to pick up sticks, but they make the rule you can't get in 15 feet of a tree, then clearly you can't pick up sticks. That rule does not exist. I'm just giving an example. So that's who the Pharisees are. They kind of make rules about the rules. So, Jesus tells this parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee stands and he prays thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So, this is a pretty humble guy, right? He looks out and he says, I thank you, Lord Jesus, or or, he doesn't say Lord Jesus. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like all these dirty, rotten sinners, I fast twice a week, and now he starts listing off all the good things he's done. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, this other guy, who is a dirty, rotten sinner, the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." So the point of this parable is that Jesus um, says, you got these two folks out here, one person who acknowledges his sin and says, God, please forgive me. I'm not even worthy to look up toward heaven. God forgives him. God justifies him. But this Pharisee who's super religious, who follows every little rule, ticky-tacky can, but he's arrogant and doesn't admit his own sin, doesn't admit his own need for forgiveness, He doesn't leave with justification. He doesn't leave forgiven. Because if you think you don't need forgiveness, you won't get it. So there's this warning for uh, lost hearts, hearts that don't know Jesus, to please confess your sin, admit to God that you need forgiveness. Because if you don't realize that you need forgiveness, you won't ask for it. And if you don't ask for it, you won't get it. Just like the kings, the merchants, and the sea traders, they would rather step back and deny their association with the sinners, deny their guilt of the sin of their own. They would rather, uh, they would rather pretend that they have nothing to do with this than say, God have mercy on us. So uh, risk number one, symptoms of a fallen heart. How about number two, oversimplifying creation, oversimplifying creation. Uh, So what do I mean by oversimplifying creation? Well, let's look at what the merchants have to say. So uh, in Revelation chapter uh, 18, verses 11 through 17a, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Notice that, that the merchants are not weeping because the city has fallen. The merchants are weeping because no one is buying their merchandise. That they've got all this... Uh, they've got 800,000 tons of toilet paper and hand sanitizer that they bought from Ingalls so that nobody else can get it. Yes, I'm bitter. If you're doing that, stop it. Um, so they buy all of these things from from everybody. They're merchants, they're traders, um, and they've got all this stock, and nobody's buying it anymore. Nobody buys their merchandise. Merchandise of, and now listen to this list. There's gold, there's silver, there's precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, ivory, uh, precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle, sheep. Okay, we've gotten into livestock now. Horses and chariots. Okay, we're getting into the instruments of war now. And here's the kicker, bodies and souls of men. Now, if you're anything like me, this was jarring. This was horribly jarring. Uh, whenever, uh, whenever I saw uh, bodies and souls of men, I'm like, how in the world do you, first off, how do you even sell a soul? And then second, uh, how in the world can these people even do this? Are they aware that they're doing this? And I ended up coming to the conclusion, no, they have no idea that they're doing this. And I'll tell you why. Now, when I say when doing this, I don't mean that they're literally uh, selling a soul, as in they have come into possession of it, and now, that they can, now they can sell it to someone else so that someone else owns the soul. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you look at them, it says they're selling bodies and souls of men. Now, look at their response to the city falling. They're upset that nobody's buying uh, their goods anymore, uh, but at the same time, they say the, the angel says, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all, because nobody's buying their goods. And the merchants of these things, who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, in one hour such great riches come to nothing." Now, why do I think that they're not aware that they're selling body and soul of men? men? Well, it's because I think these merchants don't believe in such a thing as a soul. I don't think that they're thinking that way. I think they're thinking in purely materialistic terms. Because look at what they're mourning with the loss of the city. They're mourning all of the great riches that came to nothing. In one hour, such great riches came to nothing. There's no mention of the people. There's no mention of the loss of life. There's no mention of the absolute human destruction that comes from this city Babylon falling. All these merchants are concerned about is that they have lost their riches. There's a clue to this, that if you consider a similar situation in which another city was going to be overthrown, can you think of any situation in Scripture in which... A warning came to a great city that it was about to be destroyed. Now, it's a different situation. God was giving this other city a chance to repent, but they had a prophet that didn't exactly want to give them the message. I am talking about the book of Jonah. Uh, consider what God said in Jonah chapter 4 about the city of Nineveh. This is Jonah has gotten mad because God is going to spare the city of Nineveh because they repented, and God is having this discussion with Jonah, and he's trying to convince Jonah that it's right, uh, for, God, for him to pity uh, Nineveh. And God says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? Listen to how God describes the city. In which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. So there are varying opinions on what that might mean. Uh, 120,000 people who don't know their right hand uh, from their left. Maybe that means it's got 120,000 citizens and they're just all so confused. They don't know which way is up, um, which is very likely uh, since these are people who don't know God, they don't have Scripture, they don't have the prophets of God living among them. They're Assyrians, uh, so they don't they don't know this stuff. Um, so maybe God's just saying they're 120,000 people strong, and none of them know have have none of them have any idea what they're doing. That's possible, but it's also possible when God says you've got 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. What people do you know who don't know right from left? Children, children don't know right from left. So if God is referring to children who don't know their right hand from their left, he's saying you've got 120,000 children. Which means uh, every child has a mom and a dad somewhere, okay? So if you consider for 120,000 children, every single one of them has at least a mom and a dad. So if two parents, assuming both parents are there for every child, not even counting extended family, Ascend, as, assuming that the base family unit is two parents and one child, then you've got 360,000 people in the city of Nineveh. Um, so it, it could be one of two things. But the idea is God's saying, I'm concerned it bothers, well, maybe I should not say bothers, but it God pities it because in destroying Nineveh, he's going to destroy a lot of human life And humanity is made in whose image? Genesis 9, 6. Whoever shed man's blood, or whoever sheds man's blood, that's that's a tongue twister, say that twice. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So when God judges a city, there is great loss of human life. For God to punish humanity like that, there's going to be a great loss of human life, which means... We should be mourning, uh, at the very least, the destruction of those image bearers of God. But what do these merchants care about? They're not even thinking about that. They're thinking of riches, material possessions, and they are treating humanity as though it is nothing more than a material possession. Have you ever stopped and dwelt on the monumental fact that you have a soul? Now that changes everything. I know we love our pets. We have cats. We've got dogs. Um, you know, some of you, you know, around town, I've been looking around. There are cats. There are dogs. There are goats. There are pigs. Um, I don't know. Are there any sheep? If there are any sheep, leave a, leave, a, leave a message in the Facebook comments and tell me where the sheep are so I can go see the sheep too. But all, all of us, we've all got lots of different animals uh, around here. That we love and that we cherish. And we should we should be kind to animals, okay? That God did give us kind of a creation mandate to, to rule the earth and and, and subdue it. Um, that, that we're meant to be benevolent rulers because he is. We're made in his image. But guys, your cat doesn't have a soul. Your dog doesn't have a soul, it can't reason, it can't speak with you, it, it can't make moral judgment. A cat's just gonna cat. A dog is just gonna dog. That's just what they do. That's, they're, they're animals. You can say, oh, scientifically, we are animals as well. We are mammals. You know, you can say what you want. We have souls. We're different. There's nothing else in all of the created world like us because we have a rational soul to go with a material body. I can touch my body, I can't touch my soul, but I have one. I'm a two part creature I'm physical and I'm spiritual. You have a soul. And one day your body's going to stop ticking, but your soul's going to keep right on going. What does that mean? Well, this is what C.S. Lewis had to say. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite philosophers. He said this in The Weight of Glory. He said, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it's immortals whom we joke with, work with, Marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This doesn't mean that we're to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between two people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. So C.S. Lewis is saying, when you interact with somebody, whether it's your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your co-worker, your, your friends at school, your folks who aren't your friends at school, uh, the cashier at the grocery store, uh, the nurse at the doctor's office, whoever you're interacting with, remember that you are dealing with a person that is going to live forever somewhere, either as an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor, depending on what they do with Jesus, that humans, because of that, Every single one of us is going to outlive our country. We're going to outlive this world in one place or another because at our core, we have souls. We are immortal. The question is, where are you going to spend that immortality? To deal with a human being is to deal with a serious thing because that human being is not going to end. That's the point C.S. Lewis is making. So to take... The view of these merchants that they go and they traffic in human beings like their wood, like their fruit, like their spices, trafficking in the instruments of war to kill human beings just willy-nilly with no concern to the fact that they're treating immortal beings this way. Having a soul makes a difference, and you have one. This world is not all that there is. There is a world beyond this one. And there's no getting away from that. There's not even the consideration of the possibility of the world beyond this one from these merchants. When you start to view the world that way, you will make decisions that are horrific, this is why this is a symptom of a lost heart. They oversimplify creation. They look at humanity and they go, oh, that's just material, just like I'm material. I'll only get punished if someone else is in a position to punish me. If I can do this, and you know, what is it they used to say in school? You only get in trouble if you get caught. Well, that's kind of this mindset. I'm nothing but material. They're nothing but material. It doesn't matter if I do something to them because they're going to die one day and they're just going to go away. And then I'm going to die one day and I'm just going to go away. So if I'm in a position to do what I want now, then I may as well do it because I can get away with it. If there's profit, then let there be profit. If there's uh, wealth, then let there be wealth. If there's success, then let there be success. Live and let live is a joke that I'm going to live. And if that means they don't, never mind. That is this materialistic, uh, anti-soul idea. Do you see how you can descend into just moral turpitude instantly by, by beginning to ignore the everlasting component of humanity? So these merchants have done that. Well, this is what Paul has to say in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So consider this for just a second. When Paul says, sow to the flesh and you will reap of the flesh corruption, what is happening to your flesh every single day? Every single day you live in your flesh, it is deteriorating more and more and more and more and more. So build up all the earthly wealth you want. Build it up. Build the biggest house Get the biggest title, the biggest, fanciest promotion in your job. Go ahead, do whatever you want to do. Eventually, at the end of your life, it's all going to go away. You don't get to maintain possession of any of it. That you came into this world with nothing, and you're going to take nothing out. Nobody ever saw a U-Haul following a hearse, and you won't tomorrow. Unless somebody, some of y'all smart Alex out there, go out, and you buy a U-Haul, and you just drive around behind a hearse uh, just to make this little pastor look silly. But you're not going to do that, because then you would look silly, too. You never see a U-Haul following a hearse because you don't get to take anything with you. So if you sow to the flesh, so, 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 eventually you're going to reap corruption. It's all going to fall apart. It's going to get moldy, moth-eaten, rusted, stolen, uh, fought over by, by the kids and the grandkids. You know, whatever it is you think you're going to store up, it, it's going to go away. But look what Paul says. You sow to the Spirit, you reap everlasting life. How do you sow to the Spirit? Well, Look what Jesus said. Well, actually, this is a different verse. I'm going to use another verse later. Mark 8, verse 36 and 37. This is another warning. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The point that, that Jesus is trying to make there and the point that we need to see is that there is nothing equal in value to the human soul, specifically your own. What are you willing to give up your soul for? Because if you would rather have this world if you would rather, like the merchant, value the wealth that you can get by trading with Babylon more than you value uh, the human soul, yours and others, then you will easily, if that's the position you're in, then you will easily bypass Jesus, who his very existence and his mission itself screams the value of the human soul, that God valued the human soul enough that to avoid it going to hell to avoid having to send the human soul to hell. God sent his own son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven. Our soul could be wiped clean, that we could have the, the joy of everlasting life with him, that God valued the human soul enough to do that. The merchants valued the human soul little enough that they would sell it and destroy it for money symptom of a lost heart that oversimplify creation down and forget that there is more than just this world is that you do you forget that there is more than just this world don't forget that you have a body but you've got a soul too and consider the state of your soul Uh, finally bad investments are the third symptom bad investments Uh, now this this might seem silly Josh, why are we talking about investing right now? Uh, Well, the the reason that I'm talking about bad investments is that's exactly uh, what the sea traders do. Uh, The sea traders uh, make very poor decisions uh, about where they hitch their wagons. Uh, So let's look at this. Revelation 18, verses 17b through 20. And when you see me say something like 17b, you're not going to see b in your Bible. All I mean by that is it's just the second half of a verse that has an odd division in the middle of it. Uh, So, 17b, every shipmaster, all who traveled by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out. And if you're thinking that's weird, that's an ancient uh, way of showing grief. Throw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth by her wealth that's what's going on is they have invested themselves in her wealth they have decided that well that is uh where we're going to hitch our wagons that's where we're going to make our money from we got rich by her wealth well that's a pretty bad investment uh, they see her as a source of wealth. They see her as a source of success, uh, that they're relying on her to finance their lifestyles. Uh, they're they're so closely tied to her that everyone who is anybody uh, was involved with her, that they're making money off of her. They're uh, financing their lifestyles off of her. There's no way to get around Babylon if you want to do business and you want to live that way posh kind of existence and they're they've got a lot of stock in Babylon so it's really sad for them when they see her desolate in one hour she's made desolate everybody who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth well what did Jesus say about this Jesus said do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So these traders right here, these traders just decide, well, I've got all of my wealth uh, in in Babylon. All I've got to do is trade. I can get it there. My treasure is all there. So when Babylon falls, what falls as well? Their heart does. They've done exactly what Jesus warned them not to do. They've laid up treasure for themselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and where divine judgment wipes the city out and where uh, <clears throat> the angel has said, nobody but evil spirits, demons, and jackals are going to inhabit this place. That's a pretty bad place to put your money. That's not really where you want uh, your 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 treasure to be That's because that's not where you want your heart to be. As a Christian, we've got investments too. We do exactly what Jesus said, or we should, when Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because that that's where they're secure. Do you know, anybody that's got maybe retirement investments right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about, what I'm about to say. When this coronavirus thing hit, you know how much money you lost. You watched it just evaporate over the course of like two or three weeks. Some people lost 25% of their life savings. It was horrific. And that's just, a, that's just something like a pandemic. Imagine what utter destruction by divine retribution would look like. You haven't just lost your retirement savings. You've lost your retirement period. You've lost your life, period, body and soul, if you don't have your treasure stored up in heaven. Now, how do you do that? How do you make good investments, unlike these sea traders? Well, you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus? Have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me. I want to be one of yours. Adopt me into the family. What you did on the cross for me, I believe, is enough. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I can't save myself. But I believe that God sent you to die on the cross for me so that I could be saved. And I believe that you rose again on the third day, giving me the promise that one day I'll raise from my grave as well. And I promise you, Jesus will accept you just like that. And you have the guarantee that one day you have a home in heaven. And how can you be wealthier than that? You can't be wealthier than that. That is the coolest neighborhood in the universe. And you can have a house set up for you there. It's offered to you freely because Jesus paid the cost. But if you invest everything on this earth, tie up all your wealth in Babylon, one day Babylon will fall and you will lose it. So as a Christian, what's your response to this? Because we've been talking about Babylon, we've been talking about kings, we've been talking about merchants, we've been talking about traders. What should we be doing? Revelation 18, 17b through 20. Look at verse 20. Look at what the angel says Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. God has avenged you on her. What does that mean? That one day the world that has maligned the people of God will fail. That one day those who trust in Jesus will win. Well, it's not going to be Christians who bring that about. You know, Christians are not going to go to war. We're not a we're not a violent people. We don't carry the sword. We don't, we don't carry weapons like that to go to war, to, to bring the kingdom of God on earth. That's not how we operate but one day God will go to war on our behalf. And he'll go to war on everyone who has rejected his offer of grace, love, and mercy. We should not mourn the destruction of the old world because that ushers in the new, and the new is better. Wouldn't you love to live in a world with no more sickness, death, crying, human trafficking, exploitation, destruction, sickness. Right now, we'd all love to live in a world with no sickness. That world is coming, and it belongs to those uh, who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, have you noticed in your heart any symptoms of lostness, dissociation uh, uh, from the guilty, uh, denial of your own guilt, oversimplifying creation, pretending that there's not a world beyond this one, there's nothing spiritual going on? It's okay if you can get away with it. Maybe bad investments. You see yourself pouring everything into this world and ignoring the possibility that there might be another world that you've stored up no treasure in. Do you see those symptoms of lostness in your life? If you do, I invite you to give your life to Christ right now and reach out to us and let you know that that's a decision that you made so we can, uh, we can reach out to you and, and follow up with you and help you understand what the next steps in your Christian walk, walk look like. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go through some very important announcements And then we'll be done for this morning. Um, So Father, thank you so much uh, for your word, for your opportunity to study it this morning. Lord, I pray if anybody has noticed the symptoms of lostness in their own lives uh, this morning, Lord, I pray that you would bless them with uh, a voice that cries out to you and says, God, have mercy on me a sinner." Because Lord, I would love to welcome them uh, into the family. Um, uh, Lord, please bless this church, continue to grow it and protect it, knock this virus thing out so we can be back together. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so a couple of announcements before we're done. I'll go ahead and do this one because I don't have a slide for it. Uh, the deacons and I are going to be talking tonight. It'll be Sunday when you see this, so the deacons and I are going to be talking tonight uh, and discussing what the next steps kind of look like uh, because the state of Georgia is making some decisions right now. So we've got to decide what that means for us. Um, so we'll talk about that uh, tonight around 730 via conference call. Not going to put them all in the same room. Uh, so we're going to talk about that and keep your eyes on Facebook, the church website. You'll see how that kind of turns out. Um, you'll probably get it in an email as well if you don't have Facebook I'll send it out in both places Um, so we'll have that going on now for the announcements I do have slides for first if you're on Facebook you need to go check out stapletonbaptist.org that's our church website it's got all our information for everything uh, that we do with the church there Uh, it's a great way to get to know a little bit more about us see what we believe Um, so you can check out stapletonbaptist.org there's a lot of good information for you there you can also join our email list Uh, from there if you want to do that. So uh, check out stapletonbaptist.org. Second, if you're watching this on the website, you need to find us on Facebook if you're a Facebook user at facebook.com backslash stapletonbaptistga. That's facebook.com backslash stapletonbaptistga. So you can find us there if you're watching us uh, and reading this through the website. So go check out, check us out on Facebook. It's a great place uh, for breaking news and the high definition version of our sermon. So uh, go ahead and check that out there. And then this from Miss Susan Lamb. Uh, Still need some volunteers for VBS. We need two teacher's assistants, a craft leader, recreation leader, two registration helpers, and snack helpers. So uh, I'm gonna leave this up on the screen right now uh, so that you can see it. Uh, Right now, VBS is planned for the first week in June. Uh, That's when we would love to have it. That is creeping up on us fast. So I'm gonna move this now so I can talk to you. We're going to hope and pray that the virus is not going to be around by then. Obviously, if we have to make a call, we will. But we're going to leave it on the calendar right now because we're going to hope and pray that it's gone by then and we can carry right on with VBS, uh, whatever that looks like. So uh, keep your eye out for News on Vacation Bible School. If you are a member of Stapleton Baptist Church and you want to fill one of these positions, then you need to contact me or Miss Susan Lamb immediately. Again, that's two teacher's assistants, a craft leader, a recreation leader, two registration helpers, and snack helpers for those of you listening uh, to the audio feed. That way you can hear me say it again. All right, that's all I got for today. I love you guys. Take care of yourself. Be safe and reach out if you need something. All right, love you guys. Y'all take care.